In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My gratitude to the good canons for the invitation to come this evening to participate in this Holy Mass, as well as the privilege to preach to you on this uh, most beautiful feast of Corpus Christi. Of course, this feast is uh, not that old. It's only a little over 700 years old. And like, should we say, many of the uh, liturgical celebrations of our faith, this too has risen, as it were, out of the heart of the faith of the people. And in particularly, one might say as well, as a response at the time, in the 13th century and preceding, of certain heresies which had arisen in regards to the nature and the dignity of the Most Holy Eucharist. Suffice it to say that the Church's perennial understanding of the Holy Eucharist remains unchanged. That what St. Paul refers to in that first reading, indeed how he hands on what he himself had received, we continue to hand on. That in these most holy rites, and the bread and wine which are offered upon the altar, become for us at the words of which our Lord spoke at the Last Supper, repeated by the priest, become for us truly the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote much of the Mass and the office and other prayers which are surrounding this uh, great feast, of course, apart from the sacred scriptures themselves. And as the the observance of Holy Thursday uh, takes, as it were, its cue upon the the mandatum, the mandate of the Lord, as he washes the feet of his disciples and commands them to do likewise. This feast, some now two months after Holy Thursday, observed on the same day of the week, of course, in order to express its connection to that night, has for us uh, the attention given to the very nature of the Eucharist. Now, we live in a secular world, an increasingly secular world, and, and the world, of course, around us uh, has wandered away from the holy and the sacred. And it is inevitability that when what, what one ever holds sacred forms the person and the family and the city, and the nation. Father Richard John Newhouse, uh, a convert to the Catholic faith, formerly a a Lutheran minister and embraced the Catholic faith and was ordained a priest, uh, put it this way. At the center of the world's monstrance is a mirror. That is, the secular man worships himself. It is incumbent upon us, of course, reflect upon the, the way in which 
faithful Christians have recognized the dignity of the Holy Eucharist. One can recall, for instance, uh, St. Tarsisius, who in the 3rd century, many of you will be familiar with this, uh, was martyred because he was discovered carrying the Blessed Sacrament to those who were homebound or sick. And he, rather than relinquishing the Blessed Sacrament to the, the crowd who was chasing him, rather than endured uh, martyrdom and death. Well, there are many instances of that, and I'd like to recount a few in more modern times for us. I read a, a book recently by a, a French journalist. It was, it's called The, uh, the Priest Barracks. It recounts the, the concentration camp of Dachau, which is some 15 or 17 miles north of, of Munich. I've been to Dachau. In the summer of 81, I had the privilege of going on a, a trip to uh, Germany, and we visited that plant, that place. It's a uh, quite a terrifying place, cold and stark. There is no smell, but it reeks of death. But in that place of great horror and death, there were many examples of fidelity and of deep faith. Three of the some 34 barracks, these were large barracks, thousands of men at any given time at this concentration camp, three of the barracks were entirely priests. And over the duration of the war, some 2,600 priests were imprisoned in that concentration camp. A third of them died. At the great insistence of the church, uh, the Nazis uh, allowed them to have actually a chapel in Dachau. It's sort of remarkable to consider that, isn't it? A chapel in which the holy sacrifice was offered amidst that, that, built, that whole compound of death and suffering. And there is recounted... Uh, the priests were able to offer the sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, each one one was, offered, was able to do so. The Nazis watched them carefully and so that they, just the bare minimum could be, could be celebrated. And they were not allowed to take the Eucharist out to others, but they, at the great cost of themselves and risk, would smuggle the Eucharist out and so bring it to the others, not only the other priests, but also the faithful among the other impri- uh, imprisoned people at Dachau. One of the priests, uh, having survived the, the, the travail there, mentioned them as, as it were, uh, modern-day Tarsissi, that is, many Tarsissius martyrs, who are willing to take the Blessed Sacrament on their body and carry it to, carry it to other barracks for the men to receive. One recounted an experience when he was able to actually sneak in to attend Mass, the priest was saying the same Latin words that all his confreres at the same hour were repeating in their morning masses throughout the world. No longer could I recall the world of the concentration camp. Each one for a precious moment was restored to his original, fragile, and indestructible dignity. 
On the way out in the pale light of the early morning, one felt capable of facing a little better the hunger and the fear. And another, we went to meet the one, that is God, who held our lives in his hands. We rediscovered the idea of love in the midst of suffering, hunger, egoism, hatred, or indifference. And also the palpable sense of calm, the beauty of the altar, the ornaments, the rites, in the midst of our filth and poverty, tranquility, recollection, and solitude in the midst of constant overcrowding and all sorts of noises. The SS were no longer anything but a sad nothingness beside the splendor, splendid immortal reality of Christ. Some years ago, I, I happened to meet, this is why I was uh, serving as a Navy chaplain. Now, briefly, my history is I, after high school, I enlisted in the Marine Corps, spent four years in the Marines, one of those in Okinawa. And later on, I, I went into the Navy as a Navy chaplain. And we had a retreat one fall. Uh, all the priests gathered in the area, and the retired archbishop for the military services came to give a retreat for the day. Archbishop Joseph Ryan, who's gone to God now, of course. And Archbishop Ryan had been a Navy chaplain during World War II. And he was part of the Marine Amphibious Unit, uh, unit that made uh, a landing on Okinawa Island on Sunday, April 1st, 1945, Easter Sunday. And Archbishop Ryan recounted for us how he was there with the other Marines and the whole battalion, and they were dug in on the beach of this island and the fierce fighting and the Japanese. It was, it was the bloodiest battle of, uh, of the war, really. There was a quarter million people were killed in that great siege. And the, the commanding officer, the colonel, uh, sent a message to him. He said, Father, it's Easter Sunday. Aren't you going to celebrate Mass? Celebrate Mass, he said. I, I can't even stand up. He's, he's in the little dug up, you know, a hole in the ground there as, as they're dug in on that beach. I'll take care of it, said the colonel. He sent a troop of Marines over, a squadron, and each with their shovels, and they dug a hole in that beach deep enough for him to stand up in it so he wouldn't get his head shot off. And with war raging around him, Father Ryan celebrated the Holy Eucharist on Easter Sunday. And for hundreds of yards, to his left and to his right, Marines crawled on their bellies, came up to the parapet, came over their head, and received the Lord in the Holy Eucharist, and then made their way back. Streams of Marines crawling on their bellies, I once heard a Protestant minister uh, make that comment about uh, the Catholic uh, belief in, re in regards to the Holy Eucharist. You know, he said, if, uh, if I believed what you Catholics teach about the nature of the Eucharist, well, when I, if I came forward for communion, I'd crawl on my hands and knees like a Marine on Okinawa Beach. 
Now, we live in privileged times. We've had, uh, certainly for uh, most of us, if not all of us, the great opportunity to live our faith freely, to attend Mass without restriction, apart from COVID. That's another story. But here we are able to celebrate these sacred rites. And we do so for a fundamental reason. Because it is the primary means and the highest form of our worship of the triune God. And it is also the very same occasion by which our Lord and Savior feeds us with his body and blood. Not bread and wine. No one crawls along a beach with rounds going over your head for bread and wine. No one risks the blessed, carrying the blessed sacrament to another soldier, or rather inmate in, the, in Dachau, with the risk of being killed for bread and wine. Tartisius wasn't martyred for bread and wine, but for the body and blood of the Lord, whom we adore and we receive. There are many great and most beautiful hymns and praise of our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. And we are enriched by that devotion as well because in this most holy sacrament is found not only, as it were, within the celebration of these sacred rites, the highest form of the sacred liturgy, but also the, the source and the, and the very uh, impetus as well for deep devotion so that belief And the heart, that is the head and the heart, come together in giving praise to our God and for the gift of himself. Jesus, my Lord, my God, my all, how can I love thee as I ought? And how revere this wondrous gift so far surpassing hope or thought. Sweet sacrament we thee adore. Oh, make us love thee more and more. Oh, make us love thee more and more.